Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Uh, super excited uh, for this guest because she stuck with us after we rescheduled on her four times, and so she she deserves all the credit for 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 being for sticking with us. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, Cheryl Castleman, who is the Chief Learning Officer at Sisters for Sales, which we'll dive into, and also the managing partner at CGI executive coaching. Um, and I, I don't want to talk, I certainly want to talk about executive coaching. And then she actually just had a great book come out um, in the last couple of weeks called What's in the Cards, Five Post-Pandemic Sales Strategies. Is that right, Sherilyn? Absolutely. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And um, obviously, we need to give it a quick shout out to our sponsors of Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Lead411, and Gong.io. But I want to, I want to dig in well, Sherilyn, where do you want to dig in? You, you've got so much you can talk about. Let's, uh, where, do, where do you want to talk about? Um, so let's talk about Sisters in Sales. Okay, let's we'll start uh, I think there. That's how, that's how we got connected. Um, you yep. guys reached out to me. Um, and Sisters in Sales is an organization that is committed to helping women of color in the sales sector um, advance their careers, um, get too good to be um, ignored, and most importantly, Find a community. So many right. women in sales, um, especially women of color, are the only one. And so Sisters in Sales um, is about finding that community and creating a community and helping each other advance. And so I don't know if any of your listeners are women of color or they have any women on their team that are women of color, but I would encourage them to check us out at www.sistasinsales.com. So um, Let's dive in there a little bit too, because you know, look, I've I've grown up in sales. Um, there were definitely not a lot of people of color in sales. Certainly not a lot of women as as uh, from people of color. Was it? I mean, why is that? Is sales not being taught as a career option? Is it the systemic biased or un, unintentional bias of of racism from? you know, white males who typically until recently have been a lot of the leaders, like, where do you think it's coming from? So I think, I think that most managers hire people that they're comfortable with. And so um, I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar with Angelique Slago as, as an example. Angelique started out as an admin at IBM over 20 years ago. Today, she manages over $690 million in revenue. She has over 160 million users and she is head of SAP SuccessFactors. And so I share that to say, Angelique is also the mother of five children. Angelique is not gonna go have a beer with you at five o'clock on a Friday. And so a lot of sales um, professionals or sales leaders are men. And we always, we used to hire somebody that was a good fit. Well. What if she's not a good fit? What happens if she's just an incredible salesperson? And so I think that's part of it. It's just, they were just never given the opportunity. They were never hired. I know that my very first sales job that I applied for, I was told, mm, no, we don't think so. Um, and that was with, um, that was in financial services. I went on, worked for another company, was top of the leaderboard, outsold everybody. It ended up becoming a GM and my general agency was one of the top ones. Um, so it's, I think it's just, it's just people have to get a new definition about what fit is. Yeah. What attracted you to sales? Like, as you know, were you, were you always, you know, 
the girl doing Girl Scout cookies or were you always sort of organizing stuff in the neighborhood for kids? Like what was your background there? I was the girl doing the Girl Scout cookies. My mom um, was a Girl Scout leader and um, they, I was in kindergarten at the time. And at the time you weren't allowed to be in Girl Scouts. And I started selling Girl Scout cookies when they were less than a dollar a box. And I loved it. I love going door to door. I love selling. And I started doing that. I also grew up in a home um, with two parents and my father had his own general contracting business. And I still remember um, what it was like to connect with his clients and how he taught me the good enough isn't principle. And so I, I still, when I tell the story, I still remember that my dad was, we had installed this um, bedroom in somebody's attic and he put in a high-end bathroom with the double showers and the big sunken jacuzzi tub. And he went to run tub in the water in the tub. And I was standing in the kitchen with the owner and the ceiling started to crack. And oh I still God. remember that we spent all of our profits and revenue from the next month making that right. We had to reconfigure the room, get it over the, you know, the retaining wall. But what I learned from my father was about excellence and good enough isn't. And I think that's what I brought into sales and that's what's helped me succeed. So were you actually out there like, you know, plastering and, you know, putting up drywall or were you just sort of? Um, yes, I can wire an entire house. I can put, do plumbing. I can tile bathrooms. I can lay carpet. I paint. I can do it all. And I can't, uh, do, I feel I so can't do, I can't do a single one of those things. Me I, I don't do them today, but I will stand there and watch you and I will say, okay, that's not what we're doing. And so <laughs> I, I do watch, I don't do it, but I did learn how to do it. And uh, and I think, so that's where I got my, that's where I learned about sales. And I've been in sales my entire life. So is, is Sisters in Sales, is it a Slack community? Do you have virtual events? Like tell everybody, you know, what goes on and, and why it's so helpful in the, in the impact that you're, you all are having. So Sisters in Sales, we do three things. So first of all, we do coaching and training. So we do, I do master classes. We do a virtual event every single month. We just had one last Friday that was sponsored by Experian. Um, we have one coming up. Um, we're looking at the trucking industry and non-traditional or 20, you know, 21st century industries for women, uh, which will be the last Friday, last Thursday of March. So we have virtual events. We also have a slot community, um, but we also partner with um, companies that want to fill their pipeline with women of color in sales. So we partner with them. And for example, one of my clients, I have a cohort with T-Mobile where they've given me six women to coach and train for six months so that they can move them into leadership roles. So whether it's attracting women, I also write blogs for companies um, to help them see women who are succeeding in, in these companies. We do fireside chat and we also do a huge summit once a year. In September, we had 1400 women of color on a virtual platform for two days, talking about advancing their careers, learning about other people. And so we do a summit every year also. What are we not getting? What, what are you leaders, you know, you'd mentioned it earlier in terms of, you know, hiring people they're comfortable with, uh, those kinds of things. What are we missing? And I think it, I mean, I'm hoping it's similar to all gender and races and those things, but is there something we're missing, missing out on? Maybe that's a better question. Um, by not bringing in more diversity, aside well, from the I, obvious. Well, yeah, and, and, the, and the other thing is not only, let's take it a little broader. broader. If you look at um, Harvard Business Review did a study called Women Are the Future 
of B2B sales. It came out in May of 2020. And what they talked about is why women succeeded um, coming out of the financial crisis in 2008. Why women are going to be successful in sales in coming post-pandemic. And that's just kind of what led me to write this book is, you know, people lag and they, and they say to me, Sherilyn, what are you saying men have to sell like a woman to succeed? And I'm saying, well, if you look at the statistics, yes, probably. Women are more empathetic. Women of color have had to be almost chameleon-like. They've had to be more versatile. They've had to be more collaborative. They've had to be strategic and think analytically. And so I think we've built skills. And I think that um, sales leaders and managers have to just be more comfortable hiring somebody who can do the job versus worrying about, are they going to be a good fit? Am, am I going to want to go golfing with them? No, you're not going to go golfing with them. I had a fireside chat with the number one salesperson for uh, client partner at Twitter. And she showed up at the fireside chat with her hat like Scott, hat on backwards. And, she, and her name tag says badass, okay? And I had to chuckle because I thought, how many guys want to hire a badass woman? You know, yeah. you might, but some of them, some people might be a little, you know, intimidated her. And she was so amazing. And she upsells and cross-sells more than any other, you know, anyone else. Um, she doesn't look like you. You might, she might make you a little uncomfortable. And so I, I encourage people, step outside your comfort zone and let your HR team do their job. HR teams, and they tell me all the time. You know, women and women of color do well on the assessment test. They interview well and they put them in front of a hiring manager and he goes, mm, not a good fit for the team. Well, no. get out of that. Let's let's let I challenge you. And, 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 and when I say that and that's what my book is about, I had the opportunity to have dinner with um, Bill, William Green, the former CEO of Accenture. And what Bill said to me is, Sherilyn, if you criticize people, you raise their defensiveness. If you challenge people, you raise their game. And so I'm going to challenge every single sales manager out there listening to this, this podcast. Hire somebody that doesn't look like you. Hire somebody that looks good on paper, that has a great track record, and forget about whether or not they're a good fit. Yeah. Well, I, I want to know more about your book. You've mentioned it and alluded to it a couple of times now. Very specifically, I want to know what the five post-pandemic strategies are. This is like okay. killing, killing me. And I only just realized that this book came out. So obviously I have not had a chance to read it. What are the five okay. strategies? Okay, so the five strategies are, the name of the book is What's in the Cards? C-A-R-D-S. C stands for collaboration. And these are the skills that are needed to be post-pandemic. So the first one is collaboration. The next one is analytical. The next one is relationships. The D stands for development and S stands for being strategic. And throughout the book, I talk about several tips and techniques on how to connect with clients, how to be more collaborative, how to be analytical, how to build relationships, how to be open-minded, and how to be strategic. For example, one of the things I talk about is, like I said, I used to teach financial fluency. And I'm sure Scott and Richard, you guys can remember back in March of 2020, that pivotal moment for you when you thought, wow, things are different. I was getting ready to teach a live class on financial fluency. And I paused and I said, what if instead of selling, we solutioned? And what if as we start reimagining and reinventing, we, we, we recommitted to connecting with clients? 
And I don't know about you, but I was taught to sell where we spent 20% of our time on the client relationship and then we spent 80% of our time selling. What if coming out of the pandemic, we flipped that and we spent 80% of our time building that client relationship and then 20% of our time solutioning. And the reason why I say that is think about everybody you've talked to since this pandemic has started. Every single adult has been impacted by this. So everything we know about our clients and consumer behavior has changed. So we have to change. And that's what I do in the book is I challenge people to change. So when you say sell more collaboratively, I'm gonna to try to pick apart these, these five strategies kind of one by one, okay. get a little bit more detail out of you. When you say sell more collaboratively, do you mean that in a sense of like with the prospect, there's more collaboration? Do you mean internally, like Scott and Cheryl and Richard all work together in different functions and, they're, and we're collaborating to, to go out and sell? Do you mean collaboratively in the sense um, of like, I work here at scott.com and Richard works at richard.com and we're both trying to sell into the same account. So we're collaboratively trying to break into the account together. What exactly do you mean when you when you talk about collaborative? Um, and and I'm going to say yes. Okay. To all of the above. <laughs> yes, to all of those. Okay. And the reason why is one of the things that has happened is you're sitting, I don't know where you are, Scott, where are you based? I'm in Austin, Texas right now. You're in Austin. I'm in DC. Richard, where are you? I'm in the, I'm in the Bay Area, San Francisco. You're in the Bay Area. Okay, San Francisco. So if we are not being more collaborative, collaborative with our partners, collaborative with our clients, collaborative with our subject matter experts internally, we, and we are not building relationships and connecting, we can't sell. People have been battered. People have been bruised. People are hurting. And so if we don't connect, then how do you sell? And so whether it's connecting with your peers, whether it's bringing somebody along because you haven't connected with a client, whether it's taking the time to truly connect with a client. And one of the ways that I talk about doing that is just listening. And so when I say collaborating with a client, it is pausing and really being present in what is what and, and listening. And, and when I talk about that, I, I, for example, I talk about level one listening, which is what I call restaurant listening. Um, this is when you go to a restaurant and they say to you, Richard, do you want steak or salmon? And in your head, you're going, well, I had steak yesterday. I don't know if I want salmon. That's restaurant listening. You don't care about what they're saying so much. It's about you. Level two listening is what we were all taught in sales school. And that's reflective listening. You know, and it's when you say, oh, okay, I hear that you're sad, or I, I see that you're sad, or you're, you're reflecting back what they said, or you're struggling with this issue. Um, and the third level of listening, which is empathetic listening, is not the way that I was trained. And I don't know, uh, Scott, were you trained in the feel, felt, found method? Nope, nope. Okay, so I, I, when I, I was trained. Not trained. I trained myself. Okay, so I don't know, Richard's laughing. He may know about the feel, felt, found method. When I was trained, empathy meant, I know how you feel, I have felt the same way, and what I have found is my solution is what you need, right? Okay, so that's not empathy. Anytime you start a conversation with the word I, you are not being empathetic, you are not collaborating. It is pausing and listening to what's going on between the words. It is pausing and hearing what a client is not saying. It is taking the risk um, when I do a proposal, I take a risk and I contact the client and I say, you know what, before I even 
um, share this proposal, I'll contact my number one stakeholder and say, let's work through this together. Let's solution on this. Let's make sure I had this says the way you want it to. Then I send it over to the team. I don't, I don't send proposals unless I have collaborated with the client on solutioning. Another yep. thing that I suggest is four questions. And sometimes people challenge me and they go, I don't know. And I said, yes, the first question you ask the client is, it, and it begins with four Fs. First, finest, future, and failure. What was it like, Scott, your first day back in the office after the pandemic? Or what was it like the first time you met with a client during a pandemic? Stop and understand what their first experience was and connect with them on what that was like. And it will teach you how things have changed. The second one is failure. Scott, what was your biggest failure that you've done since the pandemic? The third one is, what was your finest? What was the best thing that has happened since the pandemic? What was the opportunity that you've learned? And the final one that teaches you about collaboration is what would the future look like? If you, if I gave you a realistic magic wand, Scott, what would that look like? And then you take that information and you solution with the client. Forget about what you're selling. Solution with the client or what that looks like. I love the, I love the four Fs right there. Hopefully Richard took notes and, and is, is jotting that down. That was, that was yeah, great. I actually teach a thing on the four Fs for, for how I train, but it has nothing to do with those Fs, but I like those better than mine, so. <laughs> well, again, I'm about building relationships, connecting and collaborating. So Scott, does that answer your question about where do I see collaboration and what collaboration is? It is about connecting with clients and really solutioning with them and not having to be the expert, not having to come in and say, I'm the expert. And that's one of the things that the, the Harvard Business Review article talks about. Guys come in and we are, we are driving. We are, you know, guys problem come in solvers. and we have the answer. We are problem solvers. I'm going to yeah. fix this. Yeah. As my wife keeps reminding me, don't try and solve the problem. Just oh, listen. Yeah. And, you know, even job descriptions are written that particular way. If you read job descriptions for sales, it always says looking for a problem solver. Like right. the, the words that are used, um, you know, they may be they may be a bit outdated and, and going by the wayside now and it's time for a refresh. I haven't written a job description in a really long time. I, I built my network to such a place that recruiting was made easy through LinkedIn and I wouldn't even post jobs um, out there online. How do, how do you see these different platforms, Cheryl, whether it's LinkedIn or Clubhouse or Twitter, all these different you know, platforms and these different communities that are emerging, how do you see that as part of a salesperson's strategy moving forward in order to succeed? Is, that, is it a distraction? Is it, is it noise? Is it mandatory? Like you've got to be in there. You've got to participate. This is how you you network. I'm curious how you think about this. Um, it's absolutely mandatory. Um, and 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 I write about this. And because I was basically invisible. So two years ago, when I came out of sales and I started coaching and training, I took a LinkedIn class. And out of 500 points, I scored 43 points. And they said at this level, you are basically invisible. Yeah. And I think I had maybe 60 uh, connections on LinkedIn. I had my head down. I've been selling for years. I, you know, yeah. I didn't connect. Well, one of the things that I've learned is if you are going to connect, if you are going to be a solution, if you're going to solution with people, you have to have resources. You have to have a network. 
Um, whether you need them today or whether you need them in 10 years, you also want to be a resource for people. You want to be a connection. And, and the thing that I want to um, give kudos to is things like LinkedIn. LinkedIn reached out to me and said, we realized that most of our sales thought leaders were not people of color. We haven't even thought about how do we expand this? Um, and so a lot of people have been reaching out saying, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we connect? And I know Scott, you said, oh, when you hire, you never had to worry, you just went to LinkedIn. My challenge for you is what percentage of your network doesn't look like you? Oh, what percentage? Uh, for me in particular, uh, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but a significant large portion. And to your point, for you. when, I, when I grew to a place where I could no longer do the hiring myself, I hired a uh, black woman from the LGBT community with blue hair and tattoos everywhere named Madison Butler, who has become a good friend and like little sister figure uh, for me. So I purposely brought somebody in as the tip of the spear who doesn't look like me to bring in more, you know, diversity into my uh, sales and revenue organization. Well, you said something was critical. You were intentional about it. Yes. How many, how many sales managers, sales leaders have been intentional about it? Not, and so one enough. of the things, not and enough. so one of the things I challenge everybody is I said, go to LinkedIn and connect with me. As soon as you connect with me, you are now connected to all of the sisters in sales that I am connected to. So is that when you are hiring, you are only one set a second connection away from everybody that I'm connected to. So link with, connect with people that don't look like you. So is that you can build your connection. So yes, it, it is critical. So um, whether it's Twitter, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Clubhouse, I, I'm active on so, all of those, but it is critical. But you have to, you have to extend your network. You, so, you have to take the risk. So what do you say, and I'll challenge you a little bit now since you challenged okay. me, since you challenged me. So what do you say when somebody says, okay, I want to be more active, but in order for me to pick that up, I've got to put something else down that I'm working on because I'm stretched thin and my bandwidth is not there. So I look at your profile and on LinkedIn and you don't have very many connections, which tells me you're either extremely selective for your own reasons, or you haven't had time and energy yet to actively try to grow that platform. Um, and then and, and reach as many people as humanly possible. Like I have almost 60 times the amount of followers that you have on, on LinkedIn. So how do we get Cheryl in to, to have, you know, that, that amount of connections on, on LinkedIn? Because I think this is a problem that a lot of people have. They're like, I don't have time to go to this event, to that, you know, clubhouse chat. I don't have time to connect with people. Who the heck do I connect with? Right. I got two kids. They play sports all the time. Like it's getting harder and harder for me to be active, let alone other people. So feedback on, on that. So, okay. And, and I, and so to accept your challenge, like I said, a little less than two years ago, I had 60 connections today. I have 1700. So, um, you know, so I've been growing at about a hundred a month. It is, you know, no, it's nowhere near where I need to be, but I've been, I've been intentional about it. But for years I didn't, you're right. I had two small children and I was working and I was a sales leader and a sales manager and, and you, I didn't have time, but now. But how, how do you coach people to decide what to pick up? Because there are, there's so many different options now. Like how to, 
how do people who are up and coming cut through the noise and decide to say, okay, I'm going to create content or I'm going to get involved with sisters in sales or other communities, or I'm going to actively commit to growing my network a hundred people, you know, a month. How do you decide which one to focus on? This is, and, and you're speaking here, not to people like me or Richard, but the people who are, you know, at the earlier stages of their career or who have maybe made a career shift during the pandemic and are now in sales for the first time and their network are not people in the functions that they're working in now? So I can tell you what I've done. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't have all the answers. Um, I will tell you what I have done. And what I have done is I have gone to lists. So when somebody puts out a list of uh, top sales people that you should know, top sales books, top sales links you should know, I go through that and I send out and I say, hi, I'm Cheryl Lynn, I'm Sisters in Sales, and I would love to hear your story. And I spend 15 minutes with them, I book 15 minutes, and I ask them, who else should I know? Who else should I talk to? Who else should I connect with? I don't just connect with people just to connect. I want to know what their story is, how we can connect, how I can leverage them, how they can leverage me. And so that's how I have built my network. Um, I, I don't know. Tell me tell me your, your best tip for, for growing your LinkedIn profile, your LinkedIn connections. Well, to be honest with you, I started this years ago and it was strictly to make recruiting easier. That was why. Okay. It wasn't about, you know, thought leadership or, or writing like cool posts or anything like that. I was just like, I had offices in four different parts of the country and I had to, to hire hundreds of people and I didn't want to pay, you know, I was, I worked at startups my whole career. So I don't want to pay for job postings. I don't want to manage job postings. I don't want to hire a staffing firm. I don't want to hire an internal recruiter yet. So for me, it was like, I'm going to connect with every single person who I might want to hire or who might hire me. That was my strategy. Okay. So I was all, it was all AEs and sales managers. And then it was all CEOs and founders. And I, and I went and uh, kind of did it in pockets. So it was like, okay, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, Austin, Miami, New York, Boston. And that, that's how I grew it uh, in a very, you know, intentional way. And over time it developed into content creation and, and things like that. And the, you know, the network size expanded, but it was very intentional about recruiting. And over the years I've saved, I couldn't even tell you at minimum hundreds of thousands of dollars in yeah. recruiting, uh, you know, fees. Um, so just from that. So back. So if you did it years ago, did you just look at your second and third level and just do connect, connect, connect? Yeah, it was not, I, okay, so to I was not interested in even now, I don't need to have a full relationship with every single person from the start because I don't know exactly who I'll be able to help or who might be able to help me. And so I was never scared of accepting, you know, random requests from people or sending out a, a random request to somebody else. But when I did send, and if I was, am doing it now, if I do send a request out, I am more thoughtful about it now than I was back then, back then, much more personal. You know, I think I'm, I'm smarter and better at what I do. And I know the dynamics of the game, right. how they're played now compared to how they were in 2015. So, okay. So if you were starting today, what would you do? 
You were starting yeah. out today and you and you looked at your profile and you had 60 connections and you realized, wow. So then what would you do? Yeah, a hundred a, a month is not enough. Because if I'm, if I'm you and you've been in business as long as you have and you are as well-spoken as you are, you have more content than you know just waiting, just sitting in your Google Drive probably. So you should be creating content online three to four times a week, at least on LinkedIn. You should probably have a cadence where you're reaching out to 25 to 50 new connections every single day, every single day. As, as just part of your routine, right? And, you know, you and I are not, are not connected on LinkedIn and there's, you'll grow exponentially faster. So from 60 okay. to 1700 in two years is really, really slow. If, if I was working with you, we could have you over 10,000 by the end of the year, worst case scenario, if not sooner than that. And Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, you could work with Richard on it if you wanted to, work with neither of us if you want to. This happens all the time right now, and especially with somebody with your credentials and your, and, your, and your knowledge base and what you can share. People need to hear from you. Right now, if you go on LinkedIn and, and create content, your audience is almost nobody, and, and, that's, a, and that's a shame. And so I, I don't like to see people in that position when I think their voice should be heard. I go write a post, and it's like selling out, I don't know what they call the red the Washington football team's old stadium anymore, but it used to be called RFK. It's uh -huh. like me going to the 50 yard line and RFK is filled every single time I write a post. That's an audience, that's power. And you can do something with that power, Cheryl. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the challenge. I'll accept the challenge and we'll see where I am in 12 months. I like that. Awesome. Go ahead, Rich. Thank I'll you. help you, by the way. We'll both be glad to support you and help you if you have I, questions. I, or I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I wanna, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. I want, I want to shift the conversation. Um, I, want, I want to come back to what's happening in the world today, right? 2020 was, holy cow, you know, nothing short of a shit show for lots and lots of reasons. Um, but, you, you know, you and I have talked a little bit offline around like trying to have safe conversations, um, particularly around uh, people with social justice, people of color, diversity, you know, LGBTQ, like all these things. How do you define safe conversations and how do you encourage the leadership to, to start to embrace that, right? Because it's not happening. So right. I'm curious how you coach people to that. Well, um, it's a good question, Richard, thank you. So first thing that I do is I remind people about the article that Ben and Jerry's wrote. And Ben and Jerry said, silence is not an option. And that's where I start. And I remind people that if you are silent because you don't know what to say, if you are silent because you're afraid you may say the wrong thing, the message you're sending to your colleagues, your company and their family and the community is that you don't care. And is that really the message you wanna send is that you don't care? So I, I use an acronym for SAFE. And S stands for stance. You have to take a stance. You have to say, I have zero tolerance. You have to be like Scott. You have to be intentional and say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I have zero tolerance. We're going to hire people that don't look like us. We're going to promote people that don't look like us. I mean, you know, you ask me what happens in sales. Well, what happens in sales is I train my sales manager over and over and over again and don't get promoted. I mean, I recall... Um, getting on the plane with nine people who worked for my company, going out to pitch a $46 million deal. 
and we flew out to the Midwest. We go into this major health insurance company. There are 14 client stakeholders in the room. And I look around the room and 23 people and not one of them looks like me. I'm at the head of the boardroom. I am leading this deal. The deal closes and four other guys who worked on my team with me all got promoted. I didn't get promoted. And what they said to me was later was the president who uh, then promoted me immediately when he realized the mistake he had made after he had announced it said, we just forgot, Sherilyn. We just didn't notice. And what I later learned is nobody was advocating for me in the room. So taking a stance means advocating for somebody in the room who maybe not is not being advocated for. So take a stance, put them on the accounts, put them on the projects to give them the high visibility. You as a manager have to take a stance. A stands for appreciate. And the story I'm going to tell you may make some of, may make some of your audience uncomfortable. So my husband and I, we have a Honda motorcycle. And one of my favorite date nights is on the back of the motorcycle. And I'm going to tell you, I look like a badass motorcycle chick when I'm riding the motorcycle. <laughs> okay. Straight up, black leather boots, black pants, black and the yellow jacket with the pads and the shoulders. And we ride out to the edge of town and we stop at this Target in the white section of town. I take my motorcycle helmet all I've got helmet here. So I put on a black baseball cap and I walk into Target. Okay. And I'm standing there looking at the kombucha and a white guy walks up to me and says, do you work here? Now, Scott, what do people wear when they work in Target? Uh, don't they have like a little red vest and a white shirt or something like that? Uh, Richard, do you know what yeah. every single employee in Target has? They have, a, they have a red polo shirt, if I remember correctly. They have a red shirt, any oh. red shirt and khaki bottoms and they have a Target logo. I am standing there in my motorcycle gear and this man is in my face repeatedly. I asked you, do you work here? And I said to him, do you work here? Because I thought he was joking. And he got in my face again and said, I said, do you work here? And I turned and walked away. And I tell you this story because if you are not black or brown, when you walk out of your house or out of your office, you have to appreciate that your experience is going to be different than mine. And so as a sales leader, as a sales manager, appreciate that there, there is a difference. Okay? Appreciate that every single time I go into a high-end hotel and I'm walking down to breakfast in my suit, somebody's going to ask me to get them towels. And I always say, absolutely, towels are on the way. And I laugh as I go down and get on the elevator and hope they stand there naked all day waiting for the towels. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, I laugh about it, but you have to appreciate that our experiences are going to be different. So S is take a stance. A is appreciate that, our, that what I'm experiencing is different than what you're experiencing. The F for safe stands for feelings. You have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. And if you don't remember what you were feeling when you saw George Floyd choked after laying there for eight minutes with that cop on his knee on his neck, then ask yourself, what would it have been like to watch your son, your brother, your husband, your cousin, your uncle die that way? And what would you have felt? Yeah, I want to, I want to talk more about that. I, I once had a client and um, I want to think, I think it had to do more with what was happening in Ferguson. So this was a couple of years ago, Ferguson, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there was one uh, young black lady who was on the sales team and I was doing one-on-ones with them and I, and it was that week. And mm -hmm. I just looked at her and I said, you know, how are you doing? She's like, well, I'm a little nervous, you know, I'm a little upset. I said, 
Has right. anybody here even talked to you about it? And she said, well, they got a meeting together and they sort of talked about it on the floor. And I'm like, did anybody talk to you one-on-one? Like, just to, like, you know, you have a different experience with this than any right. of us, right? And she said, you know, sadly, she said, no. She said, you're the first person to ask me. And so we ended up spending her one-on-one time just talking about that. So, which also tells me that as, you know, yes, we need to take a stand. We're still super uncomfortable. We don't even know what to say. We don't know how to say it. I think, I think Morgan Ingram, you know, he said, don't ask how we're doing anymore. Just say, what can I do to help? Right. You know, how. just, okay. Or, or, and, and if you don't, and, and if you don't want to ask how to help, E stands for empathy. Just be present with them. Just, you know what you did? You were present with her. Right. So many people, they just avoid. They're just like, okay, I, I'll just pretend I mean. like it didn't happen. And so again, take a stance, appreciate, acknowledge your feelings. Say to somebody, gosh, I'm not sure how you're feeling, but you know, when I think about it, if that was my son, I would be horrified. If that was my husband, I would just be so sad because that's how every black and brown person was feeling when they watched that. And the E stands for empathy which is just being present. And that's exactly what you did, Richard. And kudos to you for doing that. So many people will not just be present in what happened. Just show up and just and just, just say, how are you? Just be present. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to have the answers, but just let them know. I don't tolerate it. I appreciate that what you're going through is different than mine. Here's how I'm feeling and I'm going to be empathetic. I'm going to be present. I'm not going to give you the feel felt found. I'm not going to fix it. I'm just going to be present in how you're feeling. That's great. And, I appreciate that advice. And, and that's it. So that's that's what I encourage people to do is that is and, and I, I use the acronym for safe because it is have safe conversations. And every time something happens, go into the office and have those safe conversations and be present with people. That's great. That's really great. Um, we got, we're actually getting towards the end, so we, we kind of need to start to wrap up. But before we do that, we always, you know, I actually didn't tell you this part. Is, you know, what can we do for you? We're going to turn the sort of, although, you know, you, you did a good job grilling Scott. I loved it. Um, <laughs> Scott's very knowledgeable. <laughs> and he accepted my challenge. So, yeah. you know, uh, what, you what, know. So obviously we're, we absolutely want to support Sisters in Sales, 100%. Please go check them out. Um, you know, please, you know, make a stand, take a stand, which I, you know, I, I really, one of the biggest things I got, but, you know, what would you like to ask us? What would you want to ask us if you, if there's anything you could ask, or is there another uh, cause that you're also, you know, trying to promote? So we want to give you the mic for a couple of minutes. So a couple of things that I would do is anybody who is listening to your podcast who either works for a company that would like to fill their pipeline with women of color. If you go to Sisters in Sales under sponsorship or partnership, you can download our partnership brochure. And in your welcome letter, you'll get an email from me with a link. I'd love to sit down and tell you about Sisters in Sales and some of the partnerships. So if you want some tips and ideas on how to fill your pipeline, how to attract, hire, and retain women of color, that's what I'm doing, is helping companies fill their pipeline, attract women, hire them, and retain them. So that's number one. Number two, if you if you have a black or brown woman on your team or you know anybody in sales, encourage them to check out Sisters in Sales, check out our events, um, and 
um, you know, and encourage them to help build a network that will help them be retain and help you retain them because they're building a community and they have a place that they can develop and learn. And finally, I'm just going to give a, a pitch for my book, go to postpandemicselling.com. Um, and you can, you can uh, read about my book. And if you're looking for tips and ideas on how to sell more empathetically, how to connect with your clients, and how to accept my challenges, um, and learn more tips like the four F's and um, you know what's in the cards and what the cards stand for, um, that's where you can um, find out about my book. It's also available on Amazon. Cool. Well, awesome. Thank you, Sherilyn. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so um, much for your time. This has been awesome. Thank you. We appreciate it. And last shout out to our uh, sponsors of Salesforce Revenue Cloud, uh, Lead411 and Gong.io. So thank you. And we will certainly see and talk to everybody next time.